Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Decoding Dragons, where we break down all things House the Dragon. We're your hosts, Liza and Michelle, and we're spilling all the royalty and breaking down the fire for every episode. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about what happened in House of the Dragon Season 1, Episode 4, named King of the Narrow Sea. What did you think of the episode? I had so many thoughts about this episode. I have been struggling <laughs> to get them in order. So my first one is that we did get the um, the scene where Damon lays his like the crown from the stepstones at uh, basically at Viserys's feet, and we see Grand McTavish there also, and he survives the encounter. I was a little worried that you know you yes. you, know, you point a sword at someone in Game of Thrones, things can go one of two ways, but um, <laughs> Grand McTavish survived and. Uh, Damon is now, you know, king of the narrow sea. He lays his crown at Viserys' feet, and Viserys is like, I accept you back, brother. You know, all the cool right. stuff. And then we still haven't gotten the wedding, but we did get the announcement with Laenor. So Viserys basically told Rhaenyra, okay, you're gonna marry him. That's how it's gonna happen. And she didn't have much say in the matter, but it'll probably work out as much as anything in Game of Thrones ever works out for anyone. <laughs> So, um, but arranged marriages, marriages typically go pretty well. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we see how well Damon's is going with his lady in the veil, right? We see how well. Right. Um, and then this was definitely like a peace moving episode for sure. It was 100% impactful. And I think all the characters made very telling decisions in this episode throughout. There is one person that we got to meet that I really wanted to point out. So, um, we got to see, uh, bloody Ben Blackwood. So as soon as he announced his house, I knew exactly who he was. But um, for those who have read Fire and Blood, um, his name is Benjicott Blackwood. And he ends up being like a huge piece in like the armies in the future, like that we're going to get in House the Dragon, like the future parts, the Dance of the Dragons. He is just badass. So and it's fun seeing him in this situation where, you know, he basically draws his sword on this, like, much older, um, taller guy, and he wins. And I'm just like, this is a good introduction scene. Because basically the way they describe him is he's, um, he's a little bit shy, but you put him in battle armor, and he's a totally different person. So I'm just like, this is a really good introduction to Ben for everybody. So I thought that was super cool. They did that pretty well then, because he it was exactly that. He was a little shy, and then the guy wouldn't stop talking shit, and he was like, Show up. Let's go. <laughs> right? He's like, I'm going to meet you. <laughs> we will throw hands, right? So, um, but yeah, I very much enjoyed it. And we got to see Storm's End. What did you think of Storm's End? Yeah, so that was something really cool. We've never actually been inside the castle, so we got to see inside Storm's End. And then she was surrounded by, um, I think it was Borman Baratheon, the one who swore fealty to her at the beginning. Um, and then Kristen Cole was with her, obviously. But we got to see a lot of sigils. Uh, we got to see the twins. Um, and the person who was talking to her, the older guy, um, was actually a Dondarian, which we would know from Beric Dondarian with the flaming sword from Game of Thrones. So that was pretty cool. And I found out that Kristen Cole is actually from that area. So 
her kind of turning that person down uh, is actually going to be a little little thing that happens later. Uh, it's going to be an impactful moment for later, apparently. So, yeah, you see um, House on Darien several times. And every time I um, hear the name, I immediately think of, like, seeing Beyond the Wall with the flaming sword. It's just, I immediately think about that. But, yeah, so Kristen Cole, um, I think he is from that area. I know that he mentioned, they mentioned earlier, he's Dornish. So he's definitely from, I think, somewhere around the Dornish marches. They're talking about how beautiful it is down there. Um, and Kristen Cole got a lot of screen time in this episode, and we definitely need to find a way to kind of get into that a little bit. But maybe we'll get into that in, like, the fire section with um, where we get into our spoiler talk, like the real spoiler talk and the lore breakdown. Yes. So we'll definitely get into that. But, yeah, it was just a very... I, don't, I think they nailed the tone for this episode, and I think the tone they were going for was uncomfortable. The whole thing I was thinking the entire episode was, uh-oh, uh-oh, this is bad. Uh-oh, <laughs> bad decisions everywhere, all around. <laughs> so, yeah, that's how I felt. I felt like, damn. I agree with you. Uh, it was definitely a cringeful episode. I usually don't have an issue with stuff like that, but this one I was definitely cringing. Um, and you're right, the whole episode was surrounded by bad decisions. So the entire time it was like, no, no. Maybe, maybe don't do that. Maybe, maybe no, maybe not. Maybe think about that. <laughs> that was like the entire episode. I know, I know. And it was just like, please, please, if you're going to do it, don't make us watch. We, we, we don't want to know what's yeah. happening here. <laughs> we don't want to know. But I think a lot of the characters made like super telling decisions when it comes to like their long game motives. So um, that's actually something that I want to talk to you about in like our blood section where we really break down like the characters in the show and why they're doing what they're doing as we're kind of watching all these events transpire on screen. So let's get into the tea because there was a lot of it in this episode. All right, so my first question, because Rhaenyra is coming into her own, I suppose you could say, but she's also making a lot of very questionable decisions as someone who wants to be named heir in this episode. So what are your thoughts on Rhaenyra right now? Oh gosh. So I would love to say she's young and naive and immature, but I could have said that on episode one. Some of these decisions she's making are just dumb. <laughs> uh, she's not being very smart. I, I'm i not mad at her at all. Um, I definitely think she has a lot more growing to do. Um, something that we kind of talked about offline was she doesn't really understand what she's doing. She doesn't understand the impact of some of her tone. Even if the words are correct, then the tone isn't necessarily there. And I think that was a really important part of what Damon was trying to show her by going around Flea Bottom. And, she, and he's kind of making the point, you have to care what these people think about you because she just doesn't. Um, she doesn't care about the play. She doesn't care about what people think about her. She thinks that they're below her. Um, and you're really starting to see her grow into this kind of not nice character who is just has too much of an ego. Yeah, I agree. And we talk about the irony of Damon being the one to tell her to care about what the city thinks about her. <laughs> First and foremost, yeah, right. the, the irony was strong. It does show his growth as a character that he's the one basically telling her, you need to care what these people think about you. The small folk are what keep you king and queen. Like, if, if the people yes. hate you, you don't stay on the throne for long. So that was the irony there was super, super strong. But um, also, there's no good people in this show. Like, there's no, there are no heroes. Everyone here is a morally great character making very questionable choices for very questionable reasons. And it gives the audience, like, a chance to decide 
whose questionable choices they agree with more and then pick the side they want to be on. But I agree. I think we're starting to see the major differences, in my opinion, between on-screen Rhaenyra versus on-screen Daenerys. And because Danny, every decision she made was trying to get her closer to the throne. She knew how serious it was. And even if she didn't agree with something, she would find a fairly political way to tell the person or she would just kill them and burn them. It depends on which season of Danny we're talking about. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> but with Rhaenyra, you can see like she will say a lot of rude things without really thinking about the fact she could be making enemies for her future self. And also, I think her um, her personal decisions in this episode shows a lot about her character because we got to see kind of what happened with her and Damon in the brothel, which is... <laughs> it was bad. I did not... I was very... I think... First of all, I think the, um, like the leading into the brothel, those scenes were a little gratuitous in my personal opinion, but it definitely gets the idea across that, you know, Damon's comfortable here. This is new for Rhaenyra. It's the perfect situation for him to try... Um, to kind of like move in romantically, physically, however you want to kind of put that. And then secondly, like her going straight back and making Kristen Cole basically her rebound was like, it is a bad character choice. That was, that was unkind to put it lightly. What were your thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And it's interesting because Damon is showing her a part of the world that she would never otherwise have known about. And it's something that he has experience with. And, um, he, like you said, he's completely comfortable and it, she didn't look uncomfortable. She just looked kind of fascinated. She's yeah. taking it all in and accepting whatever's going on. Um, and then the cringe part started, you know, like that's the part of the wheel instead of the Game of Thrones wheel that needs to be broken. I think the Targaryen ancestral wheel should be broken. Just, just break the wheel. <laughs> no puns intended. Just smash it, right? <laughs> just just break that one. Agreed. Don't worry about the Iron Throne. Just break that wheel. I know. And um, I also, I thought it was super important. Like a really important note was that he took her hat off at like the last possible moment. He's like, everyone yes. has to know this is Rhaenyra because he's playing a game. He's like, everybody yes. needs to know you were here with me. Everybody needs to know what we were doing because I want that fucking throne and the only way i'm gonna get it at this point is if i'm next to you so he was he was definitely playing a smart game maesters and septons basically wrote fire and blood so we have no first-hand account of what happened but um they do basically in like the most polite terms i can put it in insinuate that damon and rhaenyra had something going on and he was trying to um teach her the feminine arts of yeah (laughs) of seduction he was trying to teach her the arts of seduction assume what you will from there so everyone never really knows if they actually did it or if they just messed around but in the show it seems that damon's entire goal is okay if i sell your name then i'll be the one to like marry you and then i'm as close as i'm going to get the throne at this point so you can kind of see why he's doing it, but um, I think that her like straight just jumping right onto Kristen Cole after that was like a very unkind move because the scene where they're slowly taking off his um, his Kingsguard armor, I really feel like they like stayed on that as like a, for a while as a very symbolic reason because if I remember correctly, I think the Kingsguard take a bunch of vows, right? They vow so they don't have land, they don't have families, basically. Yep. So he was breaking more than one vow in one go. And I just felt so bad for him because it kind of like the vibe that I got, while it did not seem unconsensual, it didn't seem like he felt comfortable saying no. So I was, it was just so sad and like emotional, I guess, to watch because of how this leads to like the 
many dramatic changes in their relationship in the future, it definitely sets the tone for why they have their like extreme falling apart later on, for sure. Yeah, it definitely seemed kind of obligatory, um, because like he said, he was kind of scared to say no. And it was, I, I agree with your words, it was unkind of her to do that. But the, yeah, so the Kingsguard take a vow to uh, be basically chastised the entire uh, time that they're in duty and they don't take no wife and take no land and like you said and he's been in that role now for what like four years at this point so he's really been in it and i can see how they can grow as a character together um because he's her protector but she crossed the line that didn't need to be crossed and i think the last i'm trying to think back to the episode but i'm pretty sure the last thing he said before it became a little bit um not so much talking after that point was don't and after that, it was just like there was no more talking involved. But I just, it was just, it, it, it kind of broke my heart a little bit to watch because Rhaenyra was not thinking about his situation whatsoever. Because she's somewhat protected. No. She's a princess. But Kristen Cole, if they find out what happens, he is not by any means. And I think Allison says something later that basically, or no, Rhaenyra says it, that if someone basically sullies her honor, it's treason. Or like, or says something about it or like claims they have sullied her or something like that is just treason so i was just like you were not even remotely thinking about what this gets him into and i mean it was it was as consensual as i could imagine it to be in that situation however it's just not good for either of them going forward it was just not a healthy transaction whatsoever and especially with um combined with what happened between rhaenyra and damon and viserys finds out and that's the that might be the one truth otto told his whole life <laughs> Right. But he definitely, um, he, in this one situation, Otto told Viserys exactly what he heard and exactly what he knew. And he got fired for it, I think. So what did you think about the confrontation between Viserys and Damon when Viserys found out? Well, well, it was powerful. Um, Viserys finally got a backbone. But apparently, <laughs> apparently you don't cross his children. That's the one thing he has a backbone about. Um I found it interesting that Damon is obviously playing a game the entire time. Like, we don't know when or what we can trust about Damon. Obviously, we didn't trust him at the beginning of the episode when he's all like, take me back, brother. And Viserys is like, sure. And we were like, what? What are you up to? Like, what are you doing? And so now his game is he can see that getting close to Rhaenyra is going to get him closer to the throne, like you said. So then the I loved when they threw him into the Red Keep and... Viserys wasn't even on the throne. Like, he wasn't exalting his power. He was just like, no, I'm going to walk in behind you. And I don't even have my sword. I'm just bringing the dagger. And I'm going to threaten you. And it was just like, ooh, he does have some balls. <laughs> he does have it about him. I think it was definitely more of like a brother to brother than king to prince. For sure. Situation. I think they made sure it was personal. And we found out where the dagger's from. We I found know. out where it's from it was Aegon's dagger and the song of ice and fire is inscribed on the dagger by a fire mage and I just loved that part where it's like basically the prince who was promised is an issue straight from Aegon Targaryen's line and I don't know if they ever truly cemented in the show who the prince who was promised is that is a huge bit of lore and I think it would take ages to talk about the um the prince who was promised prophecy but since the books aren't finished, I think most people are thinking it's John. If you think it's someone different, everybody watching, make sure you tell us in the comments because there's theories that it's Danny and it's the princess who was promised. There's theory that it's John, and I think that there is another Targaryen in the Song of Ice and Fire 
books. I haven't finished the entire A Song of Ice and Fire original series, but I've read um, A Game of Thrones and Fire and Blood, so I am, you know, well-versed in what happens to Dance of Dragons, but not so much in, like, the canon of the later episodes of Game of Thrones, like, book canon-wise. So, yeah, to know that, like, it's just been cemented from the beginning and Aegon put it in the dagger to be handed down, and that is actually the dagger that kills the Night King and fulfills the prophecy is just phenomenal. In High Valyrian, the... Um, translation of the word for prince or princess it's the same word so there is no straight translation in a masculine or feminine sense like it's mentioned in the original game of thrones uh series as well so if the inscription says something about a prince or a princess who is promised you you don't know the difference because this word is the same so it could be anybody (laughs) yeah so the situation with viserys and daemon i thought that was like a death that was a brother to brother you done fucked up conversation you know yeah and then the conversation that Viserys has with Otto also kind of goes to show that there is a line you don't cross with Viserys and that line happens to be Rhaenyra it's the only thing he puts his foot down about but when he puts his foot down he puts it down so <laughs> what did you think about how he was um communicating with Otto like their conversation later on so their conversation was good. You could definitely see the difference between the conversation with him and Damon versus him and Otto. It was absolutely like a personal brother to brother thing versus the king to his hand. Um, and he was he wasn't necessarily trying to be polite, but he was trying to be respectful because he has served uh, loyally and served a couple of other kings. Um, I really like that he kicked his ass out. <laughs> Um, but I also appreciated the whispers came from the white worm. We got to see Masaria again. Uh, and that was definitely, um, a Varys callback for sure. Like she was that there's a parallel there for sure. Um, but the conversation between Viserys and Otto, I'm glad that he's kicked out, but I can also see how this is going to perpetuate some issues. <laughs> agreed, agreed. And I thought it definitely told a lot about Rhaenyra's character, also that she flipped it on Alicent so fast. When Alicent tried to be like, I'm trying to help you, <laughs> we need to have a conversation, trying to figure out what to do. And she immediately went to, who said this about me? Basically, <laughs> cut off their tongue, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so... She just flipped it so fast. And the second she found out who did it, she went, basically, she gave her father the information and made sure that it was over. Like, you can see that she's a, she does think politically, even if it's not in the best direction, but she can influence political decisions. She does know how to play the Game of Thrones. And Otto, maybe the one thing that he ever did that was actually true and wasn't some, like, it, it is self-serving, obviously, to a degree, because, you know, you get Rhaenyra out, Aegon gets in there, Alicent's, you know, the queen mother or whatever. So it is definitely 100% still self-serving, and Viserys is 100% aware of that. However, um, he was giving the information that he got. like that He was just telling what was told to him. And it was so good to see Missaria again. If I remember correctly, I believe she becomes Mistress of Whispers like permanently at a later point in the story. Okay. So it's nice seeing her kind of get basically her hands in the mix, I guess, and kind of like start you know dealing in secrets. Cause she has a line that kind of alludes to the fact that she's, you know, she's moved on to dealing in secrets now. And I I enjoyed some a line that she said that she said something like I figured out the skin trade won't get me very far and I was like oh that's a really cool line because it would be technically a, a skin trade <laughs> basically and now she's basically trading secrets so it's like you know she um has um her spies and I do appreciate the nod to the little spies that Varys had and then you kind of see that Masaria also has them stationed out also 
um, Masaria was involved with Damon at one point, and her spy like was the one to rat him out because it says that the information came from Masaria and her nickname throughout the city. So I was like, ooh, she done ratted you out. <laughs> I will say I was a little bothered by how fast it seemed like Alicent and Rhaenyra got together, which I understand were like a year after last episode. Um, but we didn't get to see any kind of um, getting them agreeing with each other or anything like that, like discussion or anything. All we saw was last episode she was really mad at her and now this episode all of a sudden they're sharing a park bench together and it's kind of like we didn't get to see any of that development of them gaining their relationship back before we saw it getting kind of torn apart again so I wish they would have delved into that just a little bit more and just given us a little bit more of um this is why we're getting along again or this is great that we're all gonna be friends again and then later in the episode Allison was like you whore (laughs) Um, well, I think that I do agree that it could have had much more screen time, but I think that a lot of that has to do with Viserys still being around because um, in the book, he's, it's basically alluded to the fact that he works very hard to keep the peace between the two. He's kind of like the balance between their two pendulums a little bit, him being there. So I do believe that that does definitely start to dissolve like when he is eventually out of the picture. But um, I agree, it could have got a little more screen time, but I think that the seeds are still being sown because Rhaenyra accidentally, question mark, made that snide remark about how romantic is it to be locked in a castle and forced to squeeze out airs. And I was like, she used to be your best friend. Did you really not think about how that was going to affect her? Like, damn. I know. Rude. And then the parallels yeah. between Rhaenyra off having fun in a brothel in Flea Bottom and Alicent just having to lay there. Um, right, with the yeah. king and it was just kind of like oh man that was cringe on top of cringe in that scene right there no I totally agree because they definitely they have those juxtapositions and the different parallels done so well because basically Rhaenyra is I guess first learning about that aspect of life and Alicent is unfortunately very accustomed to that aspect <laughs> of life and one of them is having a fun time or a somewhat fun time question mark and one of them is not having a good time whatsoever. But it's just, it's just, there's just so many complications between these two characters. And they're both, they both lead such different lives. And you can see how that's really going to tear the fabric of their relationship throughout. So I think it's time that we get into like super, super spoiler territory. So what do you say we move on to our fire section? Yes, please. Okay, let's jump into it. All right. So one of the things that we got to see was another high council meeting, but now they're talking about Corliss and the Valerians potentially marrying into Bravos or marrying one of their daughters off into the free cities. So what is that fear there? Why do they not want Bravos to be part of the Valerians? Gotcha. Gotcha. That's actually a really good question. There is a lot of history between um, Valeria and the free cities. So um, I did a little bit of research to like, brush up my memory, and the majority of the free cities are basically um, daughter cities of Valyria before the Doom. So um, they are mm. obviously have some lineage there, and they are also a naval power. So we got to see how much trouble the Triarchy, which I think came from part of the free cities, is to Westeros when they choose to close off the Narrow Sea and you know crank down on trade, etc. So basically they're messing with a naval power, And the free cities also have a huge bearing on the political landscape of the time. So when you have them allied against Westeros, it's very dangerous because they are such a um, 
they could they could mobilize against Westeros basically in so many words. And if you ally your biggest naval fleet in Westeros with the biggest naval fleet on the other side of the world, you now have no naval fleet to defend against an enormous incoming army. To give it like the the okay. the too long didn't read of it is the fact that they're a huge naval and political power who also have um, history with Valyria. So it's just, it would be devastating if they lost their Valerian fleet to the free cities. And that would just be the beginning of the end, basically, for being able to provide strength without having to use your dragons every time. Okay, that makes sense. Um, because we know Bravos as where Arya disappears to, to be part of the Faceless Men. Um, but we never really understood that they have a lot of power behind them, or they used to. We don't have a lot of history behind Bravos, so... It, yeah, it's basically like they'd be um, kind of moving their vows of loyalty somewhat away from the Iron yeah. Throne. And if I have my information correct, I believe that um, the Free Cities also take part to some degree in the Battle of the Gullet, which is one of the biggest naval battles that we're going to see in this. And um, I think when people see that episode, they'll see why it would have been such a horrible idea for the Valerians to be on that side. It would have just crushed so much of like the non-dragonflying section of Westeros' army. So, because, you know, it's this huge political power, it's this huge naval power. They have shared history with where the Targaryens came from, and um, they are capable of allying together, like the Free Cities can band together and attack in force. So it would just, you'd basically be losing your one divider and your one protection against a naval battle, basically. So... It would be devastating. I can see how it's kind of a chess move from Corlys Valerion. And who knows if he would actually do it, if he's just sending word to say this is what's going to happen, just to make that chess piece move for Viserys to be like, okay, nope, just kidding. Come back to us. <laughs> and then he's going to have Rhaenyra marry his uh, son, Lainor, who we saw riding sea smoke last week. Um, and then I personally want to see the Targaryens and the Valerians marry because I also really want to see the wedding like it's gonna be a big wedding it's gonna be a big to do and I am kind of excited to see the opulence of that it is gonna be a huge a huge ceremony because you've got um basically the ruling family of Westeros marrying into the richest family in Westeros and yeah you can tell just by the way the Valerians walk in they're coming in with some heat like there is still some <laughs> there is still some disdain between the Valerians and the Targaryens and the marriage between Lenor and Rhaenyra, politically, I think, does kind of tie those bonds back together. But I think it's in name only. And well. um, there's also um, there's also other factors that kind of come into play. So I it just it seems like every decision these characters make just cause more trouble for them and down the road. Well, that actually leads us really well into my next question for you, which is at the very end after Rhaenyra's questionable decisions with Kristen Cole and Damon, um, you see that the maesters have made her some moon tea is what they called it uh, and set it down for her to drink, to potentially rid her body of something that she may not want. Um, so, we don't see her drink it. We see her look at it. Do you think she drank it or do you think she'll be pregnant next episode? You actually mentioned earlier to me that you've heard some like rumors that her firstborn child might have been Kristen Coles. And like I said, they gloss over the intimate details in Fire and Blood. And I have always thought, okay, so big spoiler, we're in Fire and Blood. We're in the Fire section, so brace yourselves, people. I always thought that all of her kids, until she married Damon, were Harwin's kids. 
But now that, you know, we get a little bit more of the nuance of their situation, there is a strong possibility that one of them might be Chris and Cole. But if that's the case, then she and Lenore need to get married fast. Very, right. very fast. <laughs> because I don't know exactly how you're going to explain that if it takes you three months to arrange the wedding. And, you know, if, un- if you know, fortunately, unfortunately, they they get pregnant their very first time doing it. You're just like, you need to have that wedding so fast. That was a good callback. Also, if you think about it to how like Ned Stark in season one of Game of Thrones is you, you mentioned uh, offline, the seed is strong. That um, phrase, it goes back and I read something today that was like, now we have to keep an eye on all the hair, right? So with Rhaenyra's kids, if she's married to Lenor, obviously they both have silver hair. And then if her kids come out and they have brown hair, <laughs> it's going to be kind of obvious that it's not Lenor's. <laughs> Some, something is amiss. <laughs> yeah, we got to start. Now we have, it's, we're on hair watch. We got to see like what her hair, kids look, hair looks Hashtag like. Hashtag hair watch. I'm here for it. Okay, right, but, and yeah. that becomes a huge point of contention um, for the secession because everyone's arguing point is, you know, if Rhaenyra has no true-born sons, like if they're all, you know, Harwin's kids and Rhaenyra and Harwin are not married, obviously, um, then there's no true-born heir to the throne. So why would you give the throne to someone who's got no true-born heirs to secede them? And that kind of becomes right. like a, a swelling argument throughout the entire series. And I, I do love that it's a callback to call forward to um, Ned Stark where um, he noticed the difference between the Baratheon lineage and the Lannister lineage because the Baratheons have, you know, dark hair, you know, brown or black hair. And then um, the seed is strong is something that's said throughout Fire and Blood because it, one, it's a pun because Harwin's last name is strong. So it's a huge pun. And secondly, it's um, clearly like <laughs> genetic proof that um, Rhaenyra is kind of doing some stuff outside of her marriage vows. So, and it becomes like a whole thing. But um, I don't want to get too far into spoiler territory for future episodes. So the only thing I'm going to say about um, Rhaenyra and Lenor's relationship is that I don't think Lenor minded personally very much that Rhaenyra had some side action because there's a whole bunch of proof that Lenor was having some side stuff going on too. Got it. And talking about like the Harwin nods, right? The seed is strong. That's hilarious. <laughs> Are you enjoying all the Harwin nods that we're getting to see before he gets really into the scene of everything? Thank you. I get to geek out about this for like two seconds. (laughs) Okay, so there are very few couples in Fire and Blood that you can actually root for because one, most of them are related and that's just icky (laughs) on all levels. Two, they may be relations between two terrible people who are both doing terrible things to everyone else and each other. But with Harwin and Rhaenyra, I was like, if I had to pick a couple that wasn't Corleys and Rainies as like a power couple because they hold it down as a power couple, right? We're here for it. Oh but yeah. But if I had to pick like a second couple to be like these two could, they could they could play like we could we could we could give them some time of day, you know? So it would definitely be in my opinion as far as reading the books without having seen it on screen yet. Harwin and Rhaenyra were always like, aww, <laughs> in my opinion. So and especially because it's a nod to the books when you know she's trying to. She's like running away from stealing something with Damon and she bumps into Harwin and he's like, sup, you might not get so lucky next time, right? And then um, because I think in the books they say what happens is basically when Rhaenyra and Kristen Cole have their falling out, which I'm unsure how it's going to happen on screen now, in the books, um, 
she approaches him and he turns her down or he approaches her and she turns him down. Either way, they're both, there's hard feelings at some point. So, which there seem to be some lingering possible hard feelings now. So I'm interested to kind of see what's going to happen in the future with them. But she basically um, leaves Chris and Cole and goes straight to Harwin. So Rhaenyra has a habit of rebounding. Rhaenyra has a rebound habit. So, but she goes straight to Harwin and Harwin seems to be the one that stays around the longest i think like i mean i think in as far as i know he follows three of her children yeah is harwin part of the kingsguard right now i think he's part of the city watch right now okay that makes more sense i think he does change positions because eventually kristen cole changes positions and so they have to kind of um maneuver a little bit and i think harwin comes into a different position in the future so okay. he becomes, um, he's in a position where he can be closer to Rhaenyra more often and, you know, vice versa, closer to his children more often. So I do enjoy the Harwin nods. Like if I had to, if I had to pick a couple that wasn't Corlys and Rainey's as like a couple to support somewhat throughout the show, Harwin and Rhaenyra, they could probably hold it down. We'll see how it goes on the screen. We'll see, you know, what actually happens as far as they translate from page to screen. But I'm here for it. Like, I am here for Rhaenyra and Harwin, and I'm excited to kind of see how their relationship develops over time. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've been enjoying seeing them just with the brief, knowing that there's going to be something in the future. I really like just the little, little tiny little dialogues that they have so far. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's, it's, a, it's a really good setup because it's like the first time she comes back all covered in blood, right? And he's like the only one who seems to be approving of said situation. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> he's like, okay, all right, I got my eye on you. And then she's, you know, running or something, and she just so happens to run into Harwin, right? I'm just like, right. first of all, you lucky as hell, because if it was any other city watch, you'd have been in hella trouble. Anybody else would have ratted your ass out, right? Been like, you're out here where you're not supposed to be. So <laughs> did she, did he see Damon behind her? Did he know that that's what was going on? Well, Damon, because Damon is used to doing underhanded shit, is, um, he had his hood down. So I don't think he knew it was Damon. And um, obviously people found out it was Damon later when he decided to let everyone in the entire room know exactly who they were. But um, I don't think Harwin knew. And it's not unheard of for, you know, the heirs to kind of be in the city. Like, you're not confined to the castle. It's not a prison. So it's not like she was running away from being locked in her room. It was just the scenarios that she went and got herself into once she got out of the castle. It was the time of evening. And, like, the location, and there was a lot more going into it. Agreed. And they did have some really interesting lore. They kept bringing out, like, they brought up Jaharis and how Jaharis would have disinherited Rhaenyra if he found out. So Jaharis does have some history um, with one of his daughters was basically, um, rebellious is not the right word, but one of his daughters was very flippant and made a lot of very bad choices and did not take her position seriously whatsoever. And eventually, I think Jaharis did, like, disinherit her. And um, he hated himself for it for yeah. the rest of his life, which is, it was very, very sad because it was his daughter. And he, I think he sent her away because she just would not listen. She kept making, like, dangerous, questionable choices. And um, so that was, like, a really interesting nod to the parallel between some of the things that Jaharis went through in his fatherhood versus what Viserys is experiencing now with Rhaenyra. Because Rhaenyra is, she does have like a rebellious spirit and you can kind of see that she's coming into making her own decisions. But because she's like very curious, she kind of has like a, it's not really a free spirit, but she is very curious about things that she hasn't really been exposed to. And so a lot of times what will happen in that situation is they'll get way too deep. And then it'll be like a dangerous situation instead of a safe situation. So I think 
Viserys just doesn't know what to do. And I think the best thing he could think of was to be like, okay, you're going to marry Lenor. We're going to make sure your name stays clean. No matter what you actually did, we're going to make sure it looks okay. And, you know, just do the whole sweep it yeah. under the rug thing, which we all know does not go well. For... No, ever. And I did appreciate the conversation between Rhaenyra and Viserys when she was like, if I were a guy doing this, nobody would care. And he's like, you're right. But you're not. <laughs> you were born a woman. Therefore, people are going to care. And it's perception that matters. It's not what you actually do. And I thought that was a really powerful conversation because I also appreciate it as a woman um, that, yeah, gender bias is definitely a thing. It definitely is. And I think that she really felt suffocated by the societal standards and like the norms at the time that she felt you know confined in it she can feel the weight of all of the past societal decisions and everything happening around her yeah and i think that she continues to rebel against that with her choice of partners moving forward and with um you know you know her children moving forward i think that she continues to rebel against that but from what i understand in my interpretation of viserys is that he was really trying to protect her because in the time period that game of thrones and house of dragon is set in it's not safe to be a woman in her position and make the choices, unfortunately, that she made. And she was trying to keep her safe. And I don't think that she really understood that because, you know, it feels confining and it feels, you know, suffocating, which I totally understand. However, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's dangerous to do that to yourself, do that to your position and do that to your dreams when you want to inherit the Iron Throne. You do have to, you know, you're under certain pressures. And that's, unfortunately, that's what Rainey's was trying to tell her. She's like, there's just some things, it's just how it is. And you have to find a way to maneuver inside it while also making your own decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And it's Damon and Viserys were both kind of teaching her that in their separate ways of doing it. I wish that Rhaenyra had been wise to Damon's game. Because in his own yeah. way, you're right. He's trying to be like, you do have to care what the people think about you. And then he weaponized it and was like, I'm going to make them think something about you. So that eventually we could be together. <laughs> Yeah, it was sus. It was capital S-U-S. It was sus. <laughs> <laughs> it was. And you mentioned uh, her dreams, which actually puts us into a really good segue to get into our dragon dream section, which is going to be our predictions for what the next episode is going to hold. So let's go ahead and get into that. Okay, so we had the King of the Narrow Sea. In fact, I think that's the title of the episode, right? So we had mm -hmm. that part. Damon brought his crown. And we had the announcement for um, Rhaenyra and Laenor getting married. So we know the wedding is coming. And the reason I'm harping on this wedding so much is because it's, it's like a, like a timestamp, right? So it's, okay. it's, it's a big piece in the middle of this season and i'm assuming it's going to happen in the middle of this season so um but i'm just ready to see it because that's when stuff gets moving like you know this this has been moving but the actual like division and the dissension and the real drama between the two different factions starts at the tourney you know viserys's fifth anniversary where um allison wears a green dress and rhaenyra wears her red and black dress we have yet to see that and i've been looking for it i've been i've been keeping my eyes on the screen to see these dresses i know but allison actually had a targaryen collar dress on in this episode and i appreciated that knowing that later she's going to switch back over to the old town colors. yes and i am interested to see what that's going to be like for her especially because of her relationship with her father you know switching colors you know to represent her father's house after all that he's done so i'm interested for like the interpersonal conflict i don't know how far they're going to dive into that but i am interested to see it 
So um, we're still waiting on the wedding, whenever it's going to happen. We're still waiting on the tourney, whenever it's going to happen. Because um, Rhaenyra getting married and the big tourney happening is what really decides the pacing for the rest of the season. So as much as I want to be able to predict what's going to happen next, they keep <laughs> circumnavigating my, my expectations. They, they keep <laughs> being like, you thought this big event was going to happen, but really we're going to lay the breadcrumbs for it to really matter and it to really be like as impactful as it's supposed to be. So I am I am I am looking forward to it. And I think I saw okay, so when we set out these episodes and we're recording it, we find, you know, we look up images that we can put next to us and we talk. And I was looking up images and I think I saw a cutaway of a trailer of Rhaenyra dancing with Lenor and it looked like Kristen Cole's profile in like the foreground of the shot. So we're going to have to watch him watch her and Lenor get married. And I can't tell exactly what his feelings for Rhaenyra are. I think they liked each other because they spent so much time together. But then you have this situation that's happened that has now jeopardized his position as a Kingsguard. And he said that being a Kingsguard is the highest honor that his house has ever experienced or his name has ever experienced. And she jeopardized that. And he, you know... Yeah did too i think so i'm interested to kind of see how his emotions toward her are going to change over the course of the timeline like is he going how soon will he start to resent her for what they did you know yeah he's definitely uh respecting her less and less as the series goes on and i think the the look he gave her when she had to walk in to go talk to her father he was like uh oh this is bad for both of us <laughs> like this yeah. is bad for both of us. And in my head, I'm like, Rhaenyra, please don't rat him out. Please don't rat him out. Please don't rat him out. So it was just, I, I'm waiting for us to hit those big milestones. Because after Rhaenyra gets married, Damon gets married to someone else. So we we have yet to meet his lady in the veil. We have yet to see her. We have heard about her. I know. But we haven't seen her. And I think she comes across some accident that leaves Damon single again. So there's another marriage in the future. <laughs> Does she fall through the moon door? <laughs> no, I, um, possibly. It depends on how they decide to do it. I think she fell from her horse. You gotta watch those moon doors. You, you do. They, they just come out of nowhere. You just be walking through the room and then boom. But <laughs> I think that she, you know, the threat that Sam Tarly's father gave him. And he's like, if you don't, you know, disinherit yourself. Sam Tarly's dad was telling him in the original Game of Thrones series, you know, if you don't disinherit yourself, I'll make sure that you come across an accident next time we go hunting. I think something of that sort happens to Damon's Lady in the Veil. And after that, he's like a free agent a little bit. So you can guarantee he's going to be making some moves that keep him as close to Rhaenyra as possible. And thus as close to the throne as possible. Because they just circle each other constantly throughout the whole thing. So the the motivations are muddy in this show for sure. A little bit, yeah. Can I just say that anybody who's sitting on the Iron Throne, can you just not go for a hunt? It's can you can you just maybe not hunt? It's not safe. Like, it's it is not. It's like it's like um, what's it called? Occupational hazard to go on a hunt <laughs> while sitting in the Iron Throne, which brings me to the point of Viserys constantly being cut by this throne. We see all the scabs, and first of all, it's got to hurt like no one's business. Secondly, it's just definitely like a like a definite red flag for what's going to come up in the future. Um, but before we like totally, um, you know, we jump out of this episode. I remember last week we were going to take like a vote on 
who we thought would win between Damon and Jon Snow. And Michelle, you mentioned that you were going to um, share with us your opinion. So I have been waiting all week to hear if you think Jon yes. or Damon's going to win in like a fight. So unfortunately, I think it's kind of obvious. Um, I definitely think Damon would Same. win only because Jon Snow is too honorable. And we know that <laughs> thanks to Ned Stark. But Damon's freaking dirty, man. He does some dirty shit, questionable shit. He's morally gray. Uh, Damon would definitely win. And I think that I think that also because he's had more... I don't know if he's had more practice than John has. Like, John has gotten himself into some situations. He's also killed some yeah. White Walkers. So, um, but I think he may have had more formal training, I think. Because John had training. He had more yeah. training than the other people at um, the Night's Watch had. Because, you know, he got the training with the mm-hmm. Master at Arms. But um, Damon, I think, you know, has... He had original battle experience. He's had more official training. Like you said, he does some dirty tactics. And I think he's just... John is stop at nothing for a different reason than Damon is, in my opinion. Like, there's different types yeah. of stop at nothing attitudes. And I think Damon's is a little more vicious than John's, which is not a bad thing. Like, it's just... Right. They're different. And I feel like the, um, the nothing to lose would kind of get in the way. Because Damon really doesn't have anything to lose except his own ambition. But John has always been very, very caring about his family. And I think we've all seen from, you know, cinema and fiction everywhere that the person who really has nothing to lose is usually the most dangerous because they don't give a fuck yeah. anymore. They're just like, fuck this. I'm going to I'm gonna find any way possible to get rid of you. Yeah, and he did have more formal training at, the, at Winterfell, obviously. But going up against all the guys in Castle Black who didn't have weren't nobly raised didn't have the castles and didn't have the formal training um he did he was better than them but then his um battle experience as you would go on into the series obviously gets a lot better because he has to have his own battles um and he has to win them you know like hard home to me it's like one of the best episodes but he actually did do really well in a battle since at hard home but yeah uh, damon is a little bit older i think than we know john snow as at, so, at the point that we are at now so if they were to meet like now yeah damon would definitely come out on top <laughs> i agree i agree so let us know if that's what you guys thought in the comments like if you thought damon was gonna win also <laughs> and so for this week we really want to know if you guys think that Rhaenyra is going to be pregnant in the next episode because Fire and Blood readers I don't know if y'all were like me but I legit thought that all the kids all of her first three children were Harwins and so this opportunity of them to possibly be Kristen's is a, like a huge like new thing in my brain so let us know if you think Rhaenyra is going to be pregnant in the next episode and what you think is going to happen after that point like I I really want to know because I've been waiting for these this, like these big event timestamps to tell me you know what's going to happen next but they're giving us the breadcrumbs in the middle and I'm totally here for it I'm having a great time right and you bring up a really good point, though, about the wedding. So if if she is pregnant, they would have very little time to plan this big, extravagant wedding. So I'm really curious about that. We're going to be back every Tuesday on Couch Soup during season one to recap the latest episode of House of the Dragon and give you all the insights that we have from like an avid show watcher who's read the original series and from moi who has read Fire and Blood and is still trying to figure out how they're going to move the middle pieces like these pieces that are why they did the big events in Fire and Blood. I love getting into the why as we find out more about the what. Yeah. 
Yeah, so you get early access if you're a member on Couch Soup on Tuesdays, and then the videos release and in podcast form on Wednesdays on YouTube. So go ahead and hit that like button. It helps us out. Let us know in the comments what lore you'd like us to dive into next. Let's see if we think Rhaenyra is going to be pregnant next episode or not. And we're going to see you next week with all the fire and soup. Are you ready to go down the rabbit hole? The All Things Alice podcast will explore the cultural phenomena of Alice in Wonderland. Frank Bedore, the author of the Looking Glass Wars trilogy, is your host through a wonderverse of interviews from all types of creators as they chronicle the dark yet empowering reality of Lewis Carroll's fantasies and answer the question, what is it about Alice that captivates us still today? The All Things Alice podcast, available wherever you listen to podcasts.